America, my name is Armiose Frimpong. I come to you live, usually every Thursday, but I'm going to start doing more interviews because we have the software. It's funny, software is an enabling condition for freedom in a non-obvious way, right? So you couldn't have Uber prior to the smartphone and pretty much a ubiquitous um, access to the smartphone. But after you could depend on everyone having a, a phone, all of these other services allowed to be in and kind of an, enabled a different way of being with each other. That's kind of the same thing with some of this conference software. For example, I can just email anyone I like and say, hey, do you want to have a meeting with me? And uh, it's kind of opened up my sphere of influence. And that's how I got to know uh, Batya. I just, I saw in an interview and I thought, hey, she's kind of smart. I disagree with her in very interesting ways, but I kind of like the way her mind thinks. So let me just shoot her a quick email and uh, slide into her DMs and see if she wants to come. And she said, yes, which is funny. I got her book, Like a Responsible Negro uh, did. And about that, this is funny because, you know, the book's okay. The book's good. And, but there's a funnier story about that about 10 years ago when I, uh, you know, was still dating. I remember meeting this wonderful uh, girl named Laura and, and she told me her parents named her for um, a character in Boris Pasternak's Dr. Shivago. So I did what a dutiful young guy on the make did. I went to, I scooted to the nearest bookstore, got a, got a copy of Dr. Shivago and then read Dr. Shivago uh, before asking her out the next time we met a few days later. So uh, that's just what you do to get the people you want. And so, you know, I wanted Batya, so I went and got her book and and uh, yeah, I think she's I think she's interesting. I think this is going to be fun. She's going to be in a few minutes. So I'm going to vamp with one more story because people want to know what I think about the slap. And I think the slap is interesting. First of all, there are a lot of white women who really, really, really want to be pro will in this. They'll tell you, bl don't blame the victim and toxic masculinity and and violence is always wrong and bring down the patriarchy. Yet they'll be like pro um, Will Smith just getting up and slapping Jada in a way, I mean, not slapping Jada, slapping Chris Rock in a way that I find unbecoming. Being a man who's been slapped once or twice by women and, and I've had women sick other people to come do work on me um, before. So I find, I find that entire dynamic anti-Black. And we have a nation that has, you know, kind of made itself it was organized itself to legitimize like violence among mouthy black guys. And as a mouthy black guy, I take that a little bit personal. <laughs> so in this scenario, I don't see myself as Jade. I don't see myself as Will. I see myself as Chris. And, and I think that's appropriate. And you need me like, you need people like me. You need people like Chris. You can say, you know, he was punting down, but that's not the case. Jada Pinkett. See, I'm a, I'm an equal rights guy. I believe women are competent. Jada Pinkett is not Will Smith's wife. She is Jada Pinkett. She's Jada Pinkett Smith. She is her own person who is also married to Will Smith, but that's not her primary identity. She's not some civilian who like can't take the wilds of, of 
Hollywood and she just, you know, it's too much for her. No, she is the wilds of Hollywood. <laughs> she is the, the weird one, not the weird one, but like, so I just think that she can do her own job. And part of the job of being famous is to take your occasional ribbing. And I am not one to infantilize Miss Smith, Miss Pickett Smith. And so I support her being the butt of many jokes in the same way I support the jokes of LeBron's hairline and um uh yeah so uh, you know part of what it is to be rich and famous and beautiful is to every now and then get slapped i mean not slapped not to be rich and famous and beautiful is every now and then to get roasted and you just take your roast and then you go home and you have your servant make you a salad right which is i'm sure something that what that, that happened and so uh, you know i i i'm not one for infantilizing very wealthy people and I'm and I'm like I don't know if you can be anti-patriarchy but pro-slap, like I that's just not who I am. And not just because I've been slapped a few times, um, I'm just anti-do it. And by the way, this guy, everyone says like, well, you know, Will Smith doesn't just slap random black guys; he also slaps Europeans. Yeah, the, the the guy tried to kiss Will Smith on the mouth, like the guy tried to the the white guy Will Smith slapped all those years ago tried to like tried to sexually assault Will Smith. He didn't make a a joke about After Earth which is a movie you can make lots of jokes about, but he actually tried to, you know, a sexual assault Will Smith. So that's not the same thing as like slapping a guy for making a joke about the actress who also happens to be your wife. But notice, Chris Rock didn't make a joke about the marriage. He made a joke about Jada Pinkett's pate. And as a man with alopecia myself, I can tell you, it's, you know, sometimes we bald. Um, so like that's, that's, I think that's important. Um, Regina Hall before that made a joke about the marriage and I'm gonna make a joke about the marriage right now. So if you want the anatomy of a well-constructed joke about the Smith marriage, you can say like, well, you know, Will Smith told Chris Rock to keep Jada Pinkett's name out her, Jada Pinkett out, out of his mouth. And well, Will Smith needs to do a better job of keeping Jada Pinkett out of other people's mouths because he's not very good at that himself. So you could do jokes and like you could do jokes that are like completely um de classe and you know a little bit risque <laughs> about like you know will will smith not doing a very good job of keeping data out of people's mouths and and stuff like that and you can do you could you could you could do jokes because these two people are so famous they can buy and sell you now i have my uh the guest whom i adore in studio right now so i'm gonna bring her on and we're just gonna yap it up for a while. And I think you're gonna like her because I, I like the way, you know, I, I like the way her mind works. And so I slid into her DMs and she said yes. And so you're gonna watch our first date. So <laughs> bye Hi. Army, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for coming on. How are you doing? Good. I'm so glad to be here. This is such a treat for me. All right. So this is Batia's book. Yes, she, she, this is, she, she spent a good time. She put a lot of words together. A lot of them make sense. Some of them don't, but um, we're going to hash it out. She's very smart and she can keep up. And, uh, you know, I, I like people who are not obvious. Well, I like people who actually seem to be sincerely um, concerned about how to lift up the struggle of Black people and working people in general, because Black people, we work. Um, and uh, we work a lot. That's why a lot of us are here to, to work, right? So working people in general and black people in particular. But what I notice about uh, your book, how to, how, 
woke media is undermining democracy is I look at the back people, I look at the uh, the the people who are supporting it on the back, and I and I recognize a lot of these names. And you support reparations, right? I do. Or, yep. Yeah, but the people who support your work do not <laughs> support <laughs> reparations. So does that worry you a little bit? That, what do like, you mean? Isn't that isn't that so great that the people that they're the, they're listening to me? <laughs> they read my book, like. Yeah. So maybe your book might not be doing what you think it's doing if they get so much energy out of it. So, uh, so like I'll, I'll, the general problem for the people at home um, is that identity politics kind of distracts us from actually improving the material conditions for the people who like sweat for, <laughs> for the qualities of life that, that, we all enjoy as Americans and it's kind of a big distraction, but it's lucrative and an attractive distraction because it doesn't really ask the elite media who all go to school at fancy places to give up anything, including their power and privilege. Am I uh, destroying your point or did I do a, a pretty decent job? No, that's, I, I can't believe I spent 75,000 words trying to say something that can be summed up so well in one sentence. <laughs> We're going to be fabulous friends. We're about the same age. And like, so like, we'll be friends for the next 30 or 40 years. We'll give my kids jobs. Yay. It'll be great. I'm excited. <laughs> listen, uh, listen, the reason I say this is a treat is because um, it's very rare that you get to talk to people that you um, disagree with, but who want to like have a respectful engagement with the work. And so I'm like, really, I feel really humbled and honored to be here um, on the point about the people who um, they don't support reparations. I do get invited to talk a lot to conservatives about the book because they obviously are very anti-woke and anti-identity politics. But I'm a Marxist and, and they all read my Marxist book and praise it. And I so I think I hear what you're saying, like, well, you know, one does have to say, well, am I actually not making the arguments I think I'm making if all of these conservatives like this? But the way I see it is like I go on their shows and I say, why aren't you showing up for the black community? You love complaining about how the Democrats have abandoned them. Like, I agree with you. But where are you? What are you doing? You know, it's great for you to just talk about it, but that's not actually doing anything. You're not better than them if you're not actually showing up, supporting reparations, supporting these communities. So I, I feel like that's a win win like you know having all these conservatives like praising a marxist book like i love that <laughs> yeah it, it's a marxist book that tells them they don't have to deal with race. all right so what's the path what's the media path mm -hmm. from here to reparations and i'm gonna make the i'm gonna i'm gonna clarify how i see the lay of the land in order to get from here to reparations you can't just show that there is uh, a material inequality Right. You can't just show that there's a material inequality. You have to show that a crime has been done. You have to make the um, systemic critique that it's not because that, you know, black people are lazy or culturally degraded. It's because they were made this way by the nation that still exists through which we through which we thrive. Right. So and I want to make the analogy to you have a dead body. You don't just need to prosecute manslaughter or homicide. You need to prosecute murder, which means you need to show a subjective intent, not just the fact of a dead body. Just showing that black people are poor and white people are less so isn't sufficient to account for reparations. You need to make the argument that 
the same system that created white wealth, created black poverty in order to create white wealth. So how do you how do you make that argument outside of work politics? So my the way that I think about race in America is like this. I don't think that we are any longer a white supremacy. I think we continue to fail to ensure the American dream and equal protection before the law, specifically to black descendants of slaves. But we're very good at giving the American dream to many other non-whites, right? Including Jews and Asians and increasingly Hispanics, even um, a lot of immigrants from African communities. We have one community that we have abandoned over and over and over and continue to abandon, and it's Americans descended from slaves. So to me, the focus right now that we have in the elites is on the white supremacy piece because it lets them off the hook for having to, because we're not actually a white supremacy anymore. It lets them off the hook for dealing with what seems to me like four remaining areas where the state is still implicated in denying black Americans descended from slaves and equal protections before the law and equal share of the American dream and 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 um, equal opportunities. Um, so when you see things like that, um, the problem no longer becomes white wealth versus black poverty. The problem becomes the four specific areas, which we can go into in detail, where we are still failing uh, Black Americans descended from slaves. Um, and, and then the larger class problem where we are failing the working class of all races. So those are two separate issues. And I think that the book is mostly focused on the class issue. Um, but I also talk about those four issues. And I think it's clear to me anyway, it may not be clear enough in the book, which would be a very valid critique, that that's a, a, a part of my worldview. But it is something I, I, I talk about pretty frequently. I mean, I, I think it, that's a great way to address those four issues. So that would be my, my response. So it seems to me that the way, the condition upon which Americans make new Americans, or white people make, I'll be more honest, the way white people make new white people is by selling them the deal that as long as they're anti-Black, they can be provisionally white. As long as you're anti-Black, but don't beat us on too many standardized so, tests. Oh, wait, so, wait, so, wait, so let, me, let, me, let me ask you this though, to yeah. me, and I say this with a lot of humility, okay? Yeah, yeah, no, no, but, no, no, But, but to me, that is doing the thing that lets them off the hook, like to overgeneralize, to say that anyone who has access to the American dream is, is white or proximate to whiteness is again to do the move that um that 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 lets elites off the hook because um it like why not say you know the the problem again is to me from like the way i see it is like even you know immigrants from nigeria for example their economic outcomes in america they're outperforming white men right. you know so to say that they are you know they have been awarded conditional whiteness um like again to me that that kind of um it, it misstates the problem in a way that makes it easy for us to avoid the actual solutions and to perpetuate the very system through that that mischaracterization. Okay, why am I wrong about that? Well, well I think <laughs> it's all conditioned on treating black descendants of slaves like garbage. I think it's all like, if you're not willing to do that, you do not get to become an American. And my dad is a, you know, a Ghanaian immigrant. He, he was very clear. You don't, 
you don't immigrate to the United States to assimilate with the losing team, right? So there's uh, like, I think it's all conditioned on anti-black racism. And if you're not willing to play that and consider that the American game, you will not make it in America. So would you, you, will say, not would you say your dad is proximate to, is conditionally white? Well, yeah, well, he was troubled. Like this is this he's dead now, but yeah, this this was a problem for him because he saw that as the condition, um, like ignoring black the plight of you know native uh, black Americans, black American descendants of slaves as a condition of financial and like not just financial but like you know psychological success in in America, and that was a problem, but. He also wanted to be a successful American. So I, I think that that is a, I think that's a real thing. And if you, if you don't on, if, yeah, if you're not willing to treat black people like trash, like I think America doesn't open itself up to you. But if you are willing to treat black people like trash, especially if you're a black person, that's why black people loved Obama because he was willing to tell them, uh, this is not black people, white people loved Obama, especially white liberals loved Obama is because he was willing to say that, you know, it's black people's own fault that they're born. Right. And um, don't worry about it. I'm going to keep your way of life that you're not going to have to jeopardize by like sharing power or contracts with black people. I'll blame black people. And so he was allowed to be white, I think, in a, in a very important way um provisionally as long as he was willing because part of like the identity of whiteness is being willing to ignore or degrade the justice claims of black american descendants of slaves which is why i'm very interested next person i want on the show i think i need to get to shama sawant because in my mind she's like the model minority she came <laughs> no she came here and like immediately looked around saw the problems and fought for the losing team in an effective way. And I think that's like what we should talk about as like model immigrant stories. So like, I need to talk to her. But so what do you think of what I'm saying? Is, is this premised? Is there any pressure? I mean, I know there is. I talked to an Ethiopian student who was like, yeah, on the plane over here, they showed us a movie saying like, don't talk to American black people. Right, I've heard, I've <laughs> heard a lot, yeah. Yeah, so uh, like, it's like, that's a condition of American identity uh, in a way that I find unbecoming of a nation of our stature. <laughs> um, I think I would, I, I definitely, I mean, I think we would probably agree on a lot of the um, ways in which this country continues to fail Americans descended from slaves. But to me, to say that, for example, your dad is somehow assimilated to whiteness, you know, like th there's something about, like he is a person who would still be pulled over more by the police, no matter where he was living, if he was living in Alaska, if he was where, how, however distant he managed to get from the losing team, he would still suffer from some of the, you know, the 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 remaining ways in which the state sponsors racism against black people more generally. And so, to me, mm -hmm. to say that he's proximate to whiteness erases that as well. Um, and and so, I I totally hear what you're saying, like that that thing mm -hmm. about black immigrants being told to avoid black Americans descended from slaves. That's like there's something about that that's so horrifying and speaks really deeply to the areas that we're still struggling with a hundred percent. But and I it's think effective. like if, if you want to be president of the United States, if you want to be right. the best kind of black, 
deny reparations. If you want to be the best out of black, like deny black justice claims publicly. I just think that there's too many people on the winning team who are um, staving off real solutions with this language that to me is maximalist and 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 again misstating where the actual problem is so for example like the i would say the four areas where we're still struggling to to ensure equality for americans descended from slaves would be police brutalities number one mass incarceration that disproportionately affects the black community is number two equal access to an education. We know that New York City's public schools are more segregated than Alabama's, you know, so that's, I mean, that's state-sponsored racism. And then, you know, intergenerational poverty among 20 to 30% of Americans descended from slaves. So to oh. me, those those problems are not about whiteness. They're about a very specific subset of communities that we have where we're still struggling with things that are you know that were generated by white supremacy but now afflict a much smaller subset of non-whites right so i am not one of these guys who thinks the biggest problem is policing and criminal justice i want land and money and assets <laughs> right you give me land money and assets um we could deal with the cops <laughs> All right, so, so this idea that black issues, I, I, I don't, I, I want the land, I want the assets. I want so that, the oh, so land great. So let me ask you and this. The assets. And then like we can build a school. We can talk about land, assets. I want land, contracts, assets. That's the stuff to work the land. And then schools. So would and you have, like, we'll see how much policing is we have to deal with that. Would you have felt that your father was owed land and assets from the U.S. government as a black person who immigrated here? No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. I think uh, my mother was. So mm -hmm. my mom's from South Carolina. My dad's from Ghana. My mother was. Mm -hmm. And yes, I think her whole side of the family should get it. And I should get like a quarter of the percent. Pay, pay the, 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 the people who've been here for a few generations more than me. I'll do fine. My dad was from Ghana. <laughs> you know, let's be honest. The people who came over in planes like my dad and the people who came over on boats like my mom are... But that, but that already means it's not about race, right? If you're saying like your dad and your mom were equally black, but one of them should have access to this and one of them shouldn't, that means it's not about race. It's about no, something I'm else. No, race isn't about pigment. Race is a historical contract that changes. Uh -huh. This is why I say that like Asians can be white until they start doing better than too many real whites. Uh, on the Would SAT. you have said then, your dad's not black? Yeah, no, my dad isn't black in the same way my mom is. No, no, because black is something that's created in the United States. He's not relevantly black in the same way, which is why um, uh, if reparations are pegged to race as black, then like he shouldn't get as he wouldn't get as much, and mm -hmm. I shouldn't even get as much as my mom's side of the family. Um, it's about lineage. Mm -hmm. Lineage also matters. It's not just uh, like race is about historical lineage. Lineage mm -hmm. because it's a historical contract. Struck. It like evolves <laughs> to meet the needs of 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 I think the the, the white dominant group. Well, but, the, but see, but then when you say to meet the needs of the white dominant group, you're bringing it back to race. So how does that work? Because if I mean, it's not I mean, about so uh, the colonial dominant group, like, I don't know, like what, like, I, 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 the problem is a lot of people have a hard time deciding who's white and who's black, but like those people aren't like the Klan, right? Like they, they don't have the, the state legislature in Georgia doesn't really have a hard time figuring out 
who's black and who's white and who we're going to treat as an in-group and who we're going to treat as an out-group. It's only people, like, I, I don't know. It's not, it's, I think it's all about limit and lineage and lineage is tied to color of skin insofar as like there isn't a lot of intermarriage. <laughs> so it's a pretty, a pretty useful heuristic. But so what about someone who could tie their lineage to like a white indentured servant from colonial times? Would they do you think they would be deserving of of reparations? A white indentured servant mm -hmm. from like an like an Irish servant? Like, no, 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 no. They they've affect. I think they were effectively became white when we when in the early 20th century when we needed more white people to get rid of any justice claims from black people. Oh, we needed a buffer class um mm -hmm. between wasps mm -hmm. and 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 the black people really wanted to to subjugate like so like no i don't think i don't think so i think native americans um mm -hmm. should we should talk about the native american reparations um agreements and like also some of our colonial indentures like I, I don't know what we should do for the people from hawaii and and puerto rico and like like i think but like these are conversations we should have insofar as they were controlled they're controlled by whiteness in a way i think is unbecoming of a nation this great i don't like the fact that we have territories i think that's weird <laughs> like, I, I think puerto rico should be a state or not a state with senators and everything uh -huh. like, I, I i i think it's odd that we have territories um, um that's like way out of my area of expertise i'm sure you're right about that <laughs> it does yeah, sound weird no, we and creepy like it's creepy. Like, why do we have territory? Like, like if they, if they have like a democracy that extends governance to all of the people we control, or we aren't. Like, so yeah. So Puerto Rico should get a one one vote. Like, you want to be part of us or no? And if you're part of us, you're a state. You get senators, the whole thing. We actually have to listen to you. Mm -hmm. Um. So, I. Uh, yeah, I. So the path. What's the media path? If we don't, if you don't get reparations through guns, right, which I don't want and you don't want, what's the, you have to get it through a political process and to get a political process, you have to make these arguments in a rather forceful way to people who don't want to hear them. Um, and they're going to call it woke politics that's divisive. I'm going to say something that you're going to think is crazy. It's okay. Uh, like I said, I got a little crush on you, so we're good. <laughs> I think that um, I think Republicans are much more likely to be open to this than Democrats. And I, I think agree. that that is the, uh, the route to go. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I what? Agree. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so cool. Really? I'm a lot cooler than you have. <laughs> no, I, I agree. So look, I have been canceled so many times right so usually someone meets me they're like oh you're really cool i have a hookup on npr so i can get you on and so i've been booked to go on npr like three or four uh -huh. times and whatever the the local public radio here and and so like i get booked i do my you know research because i'm a you know dutiful negro and then the night before i always get an email saying like oh we talked to somebody and they say you're a little controversial and we're gonna have to not have you on that's terrible. And that's happened like three or four times. Um, that's really? my, that's my, yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been booked and then, oh. and then canceled. But I think it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a compliment because it takes something to get booked, right? Not everyone's booked. And so I get booked because I'm totally. fascinating and then canceled because I'm a little bit too fascinating. <laughs> and, um, but you know who hasn't done that? The local Ooh. Fox affiliate. Interesting. The local Fox affiliate will book me and I can actually go and talk to them. 
Really? They don't cancel you. That they is amazing. That's very cool. That is very cool. I mean, they're hostile or whatever, but like they don't cancel me because they're actually, they think in a deeper way that they're about trying to work out the conditions of freedom in a way that liberals kind of give, have given up and like in any meaningful way. Um, I, I think it's, we've seen like this weird reversal on a number of issues. Like, oh. so the first was COVID. Like, like if, if you had told me 10 years ago that there was going to be a pandemic, you know, and asked me like, who's going to be for government overreach and who's going to be on the side of like, you know, being skeptical about government power, I would have been like, well, the Foucauldian left is going to be like, look, you know, like the government's always like finna take away your freedoms. And they're always like trying to find new ways to do that. You know, biotechnology is just their latest way of controlling you. Like, you know, stay sharp, resist, do not comply. Whatever. I told would have thought that would have been the left's position and instead that's the right's position is like <laughs> civil liberties civil rights and i think on debate that's the other issue where it's like that used to be totally the left wing's proposition and the right was on the side of like censorship you know banning things whatever and now you see like fox news is the only ones hosting debates and meanwhile you'll never see a republican on cnn or msnbc anymore the new york times never runs republicans anymore like it's it's so crazy so I think it's an important, so I, I worry a lot about constitutional provisions that, so I'm writing a paper now, I'm writing a lot of papers, I do a lot of paper writing. And so one of the papers I'm writing is, is why we don't have these nice, neat, lefty policies that yeah. you and I, I think would agree with. And I think one of the reasons we don't have these nice, neat, lefty policies is because we don't have the appropriate processes, political processes to get these policies aired. Mm -hmm. Right. And we think we can have these nice, neat pros, uh, policies without democratic processes. And I don't think that's possible. And one of the I mean, one of the issues I was kind of thinking about is, was in terms of, for example, primary debates. Yeah. Right. We Democrats don't host primary debates. You can't get Nancy Pelosi to debate her primary right. challenger. Right. And what does that mean? Right. <laughs> Well, it means that the party leadership becomes a cartel that then governs yes. over and above the citizens, the democratic citizens, especially in gerrymandered districts, because the citizens don't have a meaningful say in their vote. The vote becomes the means through which the elite leadership uses its power, um, like legitimizes its like cartel power. And um, totally. So like you need to fix democratic processes before you get democratic policies. And mm -hmm. I think the naive left or the paternal left mm -hmm. thinks that you can have democratic policies without the messy democratic processes. And they, cause they think the processes are divisive. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think the right understands that you get power through divisions, you get power through these debates, which is why Fox will have the debates, right. which is why Trump going through his gauntlet of Republican uh, uh, <laughs> like people was actually good for his candidacy. And right. when Nancy Pelosi says that like, well, Biden shouldn't debate Trump, that's not good. And when Nancy Pelosi herself doesn't debate her Democratic challengers, that's not good. And when, the, and when that sets the ethic for the entire party that there should be no internal debate about hashing out what it means to like advocate for a free society, that means that the left is like done. It's been aborted. 
because like it's uh, it's it's policies can't even be conceived. So I think we're a rational enough nation to actually conceive of the right policies, but we're distorted enough nations to figure out processes which abort those policies. And we got to um, fix processes. I think that's all really smart. But I, like, blah, 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 blah. but I also, oh, I also, I think, I mean, the argument I make in the book is that a lot of the rhetoric around race and gender coming out of the left is part of what you just described, um, is a way of sort of silencing debate and calling people moral perverts before the debate even begins, and specifically a way of consolidating power and money. And um, like I was thinking the other day, like, like the Democrats platform could be summarized as as long as I can sit in first class, I'm happy to pay for everybody's tickets and coach. You know, like they're always talking about expanding, expanding the welfare state. And to me, that's sort of like they're so far ahead. They literally want to pay people off for how rich they've gotten. Because, of course, the pleasure of sitting in first class is knowing that everybody else is in coach. Right. <laughs> and I, I just think that a lot of the race talk has been um, co-opted to this mission and not just from Nancy Pelosi, but kind of all the way. Like if you look at when I look at like what the DSA is putting out as their platform, I'm just like, it's, it's, no it's, working class person could identify with any of no, this, like of any so race. I blame white women. Right? So you say, why do you blame <laughs> white women? I mean, I think it's because they don't really have a serious um, uh, bearing towards work. Right. So Bata, you're a working woman. You're smart. You, uh, you know, you can be an independent professional. That's great. But also, in a pinch, if you got fired, and in a pinch, if you had to, you could find a wealthy guy to take care of you. What? <laughs> that is not where I thought you were going. <laughs> I know. I'm never going to go where you think I'm going to go, Vate. That's not how this is going to work. So in a pinch, you could find a wealthy guy to take care of you. And let's let's be honest, Batya, we both know this is true. Who would feel duty bound to That's take care of you? Weirdest argument. <laughs> am I wrong, Batya? Batya, I mean, if something happened, if in a pinch, like you, like something happened in your professional life. Like if I got canceled, like I thought I was going to get canceled. You got seriously canceled. I thought what you were going to say is something that I think is true, which is that anyone with a college degree who's in journalism who gets canceled can easily move into PR and make $100,000 a year. Like once you have that college degree, you're never going to be in a it's not that you never are going to be. There are a lot of people who have a college degree who are in economically precarious situations who are in creative industries who have chosen to be, you know, journalists or academics or like who are in industries that are very fulfilling to them. But every single one of those people could leave those jobs and get a job in PR or in some sort of lower order, you know, job that needs you to be able to write and and could make bank and to be totally economically secure. That's where I thought you were going. And I was going to be like, yeah, but like, that's about a college degree. That has nothing to do with race. Like what, there's yeah, a no, lot of like white women who are like, have, you know, very e economically downwardly mobile and, you know, have no, you know. No, 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 that, that's not where I'm no? going. First of all, we both spent some time in Berkeley. I did my undergrad there. You did your um, yes, got my PhD there. there. Like, so yeah. after I graduated, I worked at Berkeley Bowl for two years at the, the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, I started making 
I think I was at like $10 an hour and then I organized a union and because I organized a union. Yay. And so I got it up to $19 an hour. So I made enough money to save up and quit. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then after that, I worked at a uh, security guard for a few years mm -hmm. in Chicago. And then after that, I worked at uh, as a bookseller at, at a bookstore, as a book clerk um, with my Berkeley degree. So somehow I missed this idea. That <laughs> I, I've never actually turned my fancy degree into money. So I, I don't know if it works uh, like as swimmingly as you as 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 you just um, articulated. But let's mm -hmm. go back to my original question, because I think it's fascinating. That's why I asked it. If you were seriously canceled in public from the from the Newsweek and private life, could you find a guy who was nice enough? You mean, could I enter your lifestyle? sex so slavery? Could, like, blog? could I enter sex, sex slavery? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. He, like, look, doctors need wives too. And sometimes you like guys who happen to be doctors. This isn't you selling yourself to slavery. It's you being an attractive commodity on a, not a commodity, ah, it's so rough. You being a, 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 a woman who is attractive to guys who happen to have rich granddads. <laughs> is um, that... Uh, that's never been true of me. Um, but also, I, I think what you are advocating is sexual slavery. No, I'm not saying it sounds so Which is also not, not a, a race-specific thing. Like, I don't well, see Well, yeah, the that's... black men don't have it. Uh, black women don't have it. Yes, it is. You have it in a way that black women in your position, if they're going to try to like, well, my job quit. I got to find a man to keep my apartment in New York. That's not going to, that's not going to, that's not going to work for them. So like, no, it's a different, no, it, it is, it is a racialized so thing. What you're that's saying is, so is that it's easier for, for women to become sex slave if yes. they're white. That's what you're yes. saying? That's the yes, argument? There is an option. Very popular in the South, actually. For um and for and it's you know sort of supported by churches for women to to have that option, and you know women like options they like choices so they um to have the options to work for the private, for the public market, job market which is like kind of a horrible place, or if like you know that doesn't work out they have a private option to find a guy who feels duty bound to take care of them who might actually be nice but also happens to make six figures. Is that do you don't you don't think that's an option for you? Uh no, I don't think yeah. becoming a sex slave at you know the grand old age of 40 is an option for me. No. <laughs> you know, you know, oh, come on, there's some 50-year-old um, doctor who like and also I don't think it's um I think that you know I really don't think that's about race. I mean, if you look at the the black women know, can't do it, white women can. <laughs> like, like it doesn't matter. You, you mean white women in my class? Because like yeah. the the white working class is very downwardly mobile right now. They can't actually afford to get married, which is sad because marriage is actually one of the biggest predictors for making more money. But so the 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 downward mobility and the breakdown of the family is happening like across the working class. So certainly for working class women, I don't think this is an option. But also, I don't know that like sex slavery should be held up as like something that's like a privilege. Actually, I think I think it fundamentally <laughs> distorts the way white women look at work in a way that distorts their politics, which is why we don't have a labor politics in the Democratic Party and in a labor culture insofar as white women are the biggest voting demographic in the nation and um, the cultural demographic within the party. You have to ask, why don't we have, why don't we have a better 
working class politics, culture, political culture. And you think it's because white women have the option to be sex slaves. That's your yes. theory. Okay. Uh <laughs> and I think it's because white women don't, don't. I mean, the idea even that there's a common shared view of what marriage is between Christian and Jewish and Muslim white women, between white women in the North and white women in the South, between <laughs> white women in New York and white women in Boston. Like, I mean, that's just, I just think that that's really, um, that's, that's, but also I don't think that think sex I've slavery should ever places. be held up as a as a, a source of privilege um yeah i i i mean i think yeah I, I guess i think the reason we don't have a white women don't have to work this is one of the i'll just say like this is they like they can and they should and they should be able to but but they oh no okay so this is not the the comment i'm saying um i'm this is all this technology is a little bit new to me but uh so yeah the idea yeah so the white women don't have to work they can and they should be but it's not the same kind of have to it's not the same kind of have to there's any like data backing that up are you kidding me like, what you're would be lying you're saying be... you're saying that if you had to live off an intimate partner and i have to live off an intimate partner america's not set up for one of us as opposed to the other You're you're saying that white women are more likely to. They don't have the serious labor politics because they don't have to be as serious about the job. I, what like what kind of data would you even like? I how would you even go about proving that that's the case? Like because it's Why easier for them to get to, married. Like, you would have to. Like, what do you mean? Do we, you know how many? Look at stay-at-home dads versus stay-at-home moms. But that's a class question. Like no, that has to do with. I know poor stay-at-home moms too. Yeah, that's exactly. That's exactly the point. Like that that stuff is all determined by class. Like no, because they're still staying at home while someone else is working at a job, so they don't have the same relationship with jobs. Yeah, like, like. No, because the majority of stay-at-home moms who are poor are living with parents or they're living with a partner who they're not married to. Like, and it has, that's again, across race. Like that doesn't have to do with like white women specifically. Like there's definitely more white women in the upper middle class. That's, you know, something we should talk about. And there should be more black women in the upper middle class. I agree with that. But I don't know that that's like, you know, saying that that is somehow like, they don't have a serious labor politics because they could become sex slaves like that that just seems to be like kind of a like you know like Misogynist. you could just say it you couldn't prove that like there's no there you couldn't it doesn't make that. it any and less true of course it does i mean if you can't prove something then you can't disprove it which means that you can't know if you're true or not then it's just like a hypothesis that's based on your own personal feelings no, it's based on my judgment. It's not really my personal well, feeling. That's so been absent data isn't worth very much. <laughs> you know, I, your data, you have to interpret it anyway. So like in the questions you've asked, this idea that like I work with students all day. And most of my students are white women, actually, because like that's who's at the University of Georgia. We don't, we don't, I mean, you know that you've, you've probably read the same articles I have that like white guys are getting, the shine is falling off college for them. So they're not actually even staying. Like, so I work with white students in the humanities, most of them white women. And then it takes a few weeks, but then they admit 
that like between themselves and with their parents, they talk about their options. And one of them is to be a sex slave. But you say it's so bad. It's to be a person who happens to have sex with a guy who happens to make enough money. Um, they, don't kind to, of, they don't have to work outside the house. So that they don't have to work outside the house with the same kind of seriousness, which means they can have nonprofit jobs or they could teach for meaning, but not for the money. Um, like yeah, it's a that used to be like the idea that you could raise a family on a single income used to be a left wing agenda. Like that used to be Elizabeth Warren's economic agenda. That is not a bad thing. That is actually a good thing. Like we should be striving to get that option for more people. It's not like a that's not a, a bad labor politics to be like you can raise a family on one income. That is a good labor politics that we used to have in this country, like as recently as like 1973. Well, no, it's a fine, it's a fine labor politics. But if you're, if you understand yourself as the person who, if that labor politics comes through, is going to stay at home, you're still not going to, you're not going to understand job. Like you, you don't have the same sort of urgency about justice in the job market. Right. So like we have like, to actually get again, that's that's a class thing. Like if your husband is a doctor, or if your husband is a factory man or a lineman, like you're going to have a different understanding of like what a job entails and what labor entails. If your husband's a corporate lawyer or if you're a corporate lawyer or if you're a lineman, if you work at McDonald's or if you work as a, you know, as a corporate lawyer or as a journalist, like you're going to have a different understanding of what labor is like. I have to work, but I work in a job that is really, really freaking easy. Like I sit in my office at home all day. Like it's just not a hard job. But I have to work, you know, but it's an easy job. But so I have a different, you know, I'm going to have a very different understanding of what it is to work than, you know, my very close friend who's a bartender, or my very close friend who's a lineman or my very close friend who's a cop. Like, I'm just going to have a very different experience of that. But to say that, like, you know, to both people have to work in order for us to have like some sort of like, you know, reasonable labor agenda. I just think that that's like we're moving in the wrong direction. No, I think that both people have to understand what jobs mean. And since we're so bad at communicating the importance of jobs um, to a class of people who have a job optional life, have, you remember the resistance back when Trump was president? Did you ever go to the, what's, what was the meeting they Look, had? I, I hate those people too, okay? But that's no, no, not no, no, no. white women. To call that white women, that's like the top 6% of white women. It's just why needlessly racialize something? It's just an excuse to not actually talk about like the economic issues. All right, so we'll talk. So let's, it's let's just talk the about way of, like to get your rocks off, like insulting a group who you perceive to have more power than you, as opposed to being like, okay, what's actually happening here? No, it's not that they have more power than me. They have more cultural control to set the discourse, right? So the, that resistance, I went. What was the name of it? What was the name of those groups that popped up? It wasn't called. No, they the were called hashtag the resistance. They were. They were. Yeah. They were called, but like, okay, maybe. So I went to one of those meetings, and trying to talk to them about labor politics and watch their gla eyes glaze over because like they just don't, they wanted healthcare, which is cool. I support healthcare, but trying to talk to them about jobs. And then I went to meeting after meeting after meeting and trying to talk to them about jobs, indivisible. That's what I was thinking of. Trying to go to an indivisible meeting and talk to them about the importance of labor policy was fruitless and I saw why. <laughs> it was a bunch of people who were professional class, and if they weren't professional class, were not serious about jobs because they didn't have to be because they were married to some guy who was working 
in a in a professional class. Okay, so you think so? They were men at these meetings who were more interested, whose eyes didn't glaze over. I bet you well, those same no, men, their eyes just glazed over. Men at these meetings, exactly. So the men don't show up, but you're somehow blaming white women. Like the men didn't yeah, even show up. Show up. It's, it's excruciating being in a room full of white women Democrats at a meeting. And I'll I'll tell you this. And it, and when I say a room full of them, like they're like mosquitoes. It's like three or four is a room full of them. Like at this meeting, it's it's, it's excruciating because everything has to be conformed to their sensibilities. Because if you make one cry all of a sudden or feel some sort of way, um, like everything has to be conformed to their like idea. So like that is a huge problem, and it's a cultural weight on um, on labor politics because this group doesn't know that the one so influential in democratic politics. So, which is why we could talk about mom's demand and like guns, but and have such bad labor politics and don't know why they have such feckless labor politics. Why are, do we have such a, uh, yeah, why do we have such a, a labor politics that can't talk about jobs or a democratic politics that can't talk about jobs? And like, we need to, we need to be honest about why that is. It's because we're dealing with people who aren't serious about jobs because they never had to be serious about jobs, unless they were professional class jobs. Right. But I mean, every person who didn't show up to that meeting is also not serious about jobs, right? It's like you you, you ended up in a meeting with a bunch of people who care about one thing and were like, they don't care about this other thing, but neither does anybody else who didn't show up. So it's kind of weird to generalize from that and be like, oh, all these people who showed up don't care about this other thing that I wanted them to care about. Like, yeah. But again, that's about class. It's not about race. Like if you I go think to- about gender. I think it's you, about gender and race put together. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's about gender. Like we have a, I, like I, I think. Like if you go to a parents, problem. a parents like meeting, a, like full of white people and Loudoun County, like it's not like that. I promise you, like that. Th this stuff is about class. It's about professional class, and it's about, you know, uh, like all of these groups of people who went to college. They have that same thing. You walk into the meeting, and everybody's, you know, feelings have to be coddled and catered to in exactly the same way. Like that's, I, I just feel like it's not like a, you know that's real it's like so clearly not about race it's about like class and culture and the culture that comes from belonging to a certain class and then being part of the democrats who are in first class but who are still acting like they care about back row when they really don't because their economic interests have so clearly diver you know diverged from the working class but they still think that they care about them and so they put their focus on things like healthcare which is good which is important but also like other things that are just like a distraction but like that again that's the, to me that's really about that's about class and about so yeah. so you led with racial justice being primarily about policing and incarceration no, it, policing, incarceration, education, and intergenerational poverty. All right. So the latter thing yeah. is the big thing, but it came forth because Black people don't actually get to set the agenda. Right? Like, policing is not the most important thing. Policing is the symptom. No, I think black voters are like other voters, like they're exactly like, you know, the black voters who are in the, you know, college educated group, black voters are in the working class, their, their priorities are exactly the same as the white people in those groups, you know, it's inflation, it's, uh, you know, it's exactly what everybody else is worried about, except immigration in which they diverge from, from other white Democrats to where they're sort of less supportive of it for very, very yeah. obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, like we are already at the bottom. You just want to get another exactly. call it the N word in, yeah. <laughs> in a generation or two. So, um, yeah, so I, I, 
well, let's let's move to class. What are the barriers? What's the media structure? What's a better media look environment looks like so we get actually a better class politics. And when I say a better class politics, I want a federal job guarantee at $25 an hour. If you can't be an American, if you don't have access to a good job, and that means, you know, a good unionized job. And I think at $25 an hour. So what's the media path from here to that being a talking point? You mean like in journal, like how to get journalists to talk about that? What, yeah. what, what the media should Casey like? Hunt is bad interviewing working people. Right. So like what? Yeah. What? I mean, like if I was the king of journalism in America, I would throw all these college educated people out the window and go into the inner city and go into high schools and find kids who have a good imagination and like listening to people and are curious and teach them how to be journalists because you can teach anybody how to do this job. It's very easy unless you have a college degree, in which case it's very hard because you think you're right about everything and better than everybody else. Then it gets really hard. So I would throw everybody out and go and get working class kids to, to do this job. I mean, obviously, like that's we would change overnight. The reason nobody talks about infl inflation in the media is because journalists are all really rich. Like they just don't know. They don't drive cars. They get driven around in Ubers. They don't, you know, they have no idea how much it's like that scene from Arrested Development where she goes, it's a banana, Michael. How much could it cost? Ten dollars? Like that's that's journalists today. They have no idea how much milk costs. Like they're just so they're in the elites. Like they have no clue how much their their grocery bill is. So, of course, they're not talking about inflation. It's like the number one issue for Americans. So you fix that by actually just turning journalism into the trade it ought to yeah. be. Yeah. And you get working class people doing it. Totally. And that's that's policy. All right. So what about critical race theory? Good, bad, leave it off the table. What's going on? Uh, I mean, I think it's more of this distraction stuff, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think. Like your dad doesn't exist in critical race theory. It's impossible for him to exist, like in that sort of liminal space where he both has certain privileges and has is oppressed in a certain way and is kind of, you know, has that sort of. That's he. That's that, that. That's impossible. It also has no theory of class. Like it's there's no understanding that like you have you know black millionaires who are on CNN day in and day out, and that their class interests have totally diverged from the working class, and so they are actually at odds with the black community who they speak on behalf of and who they you know draw all their authority from, and, and they, it's like nothing connecting those commute you know those communities with those avatars like. You know, two thirds of the black community calls itself either moderate or conservative. And you just there's nobody representing that in the mainstream media except on Fox News. Like there's just nobody representing those views, nobody representing the richness of the debate within those communities. It's just all it's it's just because once you get into that first class seat, you'll do anything to keep it. That's the that's kind of I think. I, I only know this because I was recently on Bill Maher and they flew me out there first class. I'd never been in first class before. It's and nice, I. Huh? I realized suddenly, like, my God, this is what happens. You will do, and I was think, sitting there thinking, like, <laughs> I'll say anything to have them bring me back so I can be in this seat again. And really, it's like, I was, I was, I was like asking myself, Irony, like, okay, this seat is not more comfortable than my chairs at home. The food is not better. The wine is not better than the, and, and the movies aren't better. So, what is it that makes this so sweet? And it is the knowledge of all of the schmoes in the back, like that you know, because you oh, were you that schmo yesterday. I brought you on. 
That's and that is the Democrats entire. That is the left today. Is like, yeah, tell me how much I have to pay in taxes. I'm happy to pay. Just tell me. All of Silicon Valley, Wall Street, they are all tax the rich. That's literally they go to sleep dreaming of being taxed more so that they can maintain their position as these oligarchs who everybody is living at their beneficence because they don't believe in autonomy. They don't believe in the working class should have any autonomy. They don't believe they should be able to make their own decisions. Like it's bad news, man. Yeah. So this. <laughs> Well, the whole the black middle class that you talked about, um, I don't think it's autonomous in the same way. Like, in order to be black middle class, a black upper class, you've had to conform yourself to the sensibilities of the white middle class and upper class in a way that's asymmetrical. Right. So, it's in order to be white middle class, a white upper class, you haven't had to conform yourself to the justice claims and sensibilities of black people. But to be black elite or black middle class, you've already, you know, been willing to say awful things about poor black people. You've already had to conform yourself to, um, so they're not autonomous in the same way. And I think that's important. So there is a, there is a class distinction and a class hierarchy in black communities, but the upper and the middle class in black communities is not autonomous in the same way that the upper and the middle class in white communities is autonomous. The upper and middle class in the black community got to where it's going to be by being nice to white people and managing black people like everyone else for the sake of those white people. So that's going to be a, that's going to be a, I think an important difference when we talk about like they have the same class interests. But one holds that class interest autonomously. The other one is holds that class interest by prox by like kind of relation to white power in a way that's not the same. Like we don't talk about white respectability politics. The white upper and middle class don't have to be respectable because they are the standard of respectability. Black middle class and black upper class have to be respectable because they have to be respected by whites. And so like that's like I think that gets at what's going on in a way that I think is important. Um, so there is no, there is no like autonomous, like black body in the upper class or in the, in the poorer class. And the way that there is an autonomous ruling class among the white middle class who share the same politics or are in families with the same politics as a white upper class. Um, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to agree. You're smart. You'll, you'll, you know, either I'm right or wrong. But we have to figure out. We have to figure out all the barriers, right? So we we, we do. But I I think I think um and I say this with a lot of humility, okay? Because my experience and my knowledge of this obviously comes secondhand from being immersed in communities and talking to people, not from myself experiencing this. Um, although you know, to a much lesser degree, I have something similar with like you know ultra orthodox Jews, which is the community that I come from, but much 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 different, obviously without the same baggage and without the same history. Um, no, no, but but no, what no, I would no. say, what I would say is, I I just think that to me the the focus on like what happens in people's minds and consciousnesses and stuff like that um, is just, I guess I'm just a real Marxist. And I think that's just secondary to the material reality. And, you know, especially when I am in multiracial working class communities, you know, going to church with people, like seeing how people interact and they have, they seem to have 
to view themselves as much more united and much more of a piece than we in the elites ascribe to people of different races in the working class or in the middle class. Um, and so I, I'm not denying that what you said is true. Um, I, I, I'm sure that that is the experience of some and that it is um, it, it, it could be crushing and it could be um, it, it could to some degree have a different give you a different valence on the autonomy that you can claim but but at the same time i think to overemphasize that is to um distract from the real material um um problems in which the white working class and the white middle class is downwardly mobile too. And, and it's true that that's a new experience for them since the seventies, right? It's true that until then, like this country was theirs, but today, when you see that cross, cross across races, it doesn't erase the problems that are specific to the black community. But I think that there are solutions to be had increasingly on the right that, that are um, compelling and that are cross racial. That that's kind of what I would say, but again, with a lot of humility, because obviously yeah. I'm not, uh, yeah, yeah. not smart. You don't have to, qualify you're already on the show if i didn't want you on the show you wouldn't be on the show so you're on the show and <laughs> we already have a thing and so so if i were to say so the goal is a working class coalition but that's actually more viable on the right yeah a, a working don't class you think coalition. what's up don't you think yeah no no i i you know i i i do i i i i <laughs> with a caveat yeah, but, why do you? Why do you think why do you agree with me about that? That's so interesting. Yeah, well, first of all, I'm fascinating. Um <laughs> two, uh I I mean because I actually think that the people on the right care about jobs more. Yeah. And so if there's going to be a working class coalition, it's going to be with the class of people who actually yeah. sweat and his culture is is tied to people who actually work for a living and in in It's so interesting. Yeah, so like I like I I do think that the prospects of a worker movement might be more alive on the right, but as long as it's not antagonistic with white capital, um, because I think there's going to be a problem. So I'm gonna get there. Answer a few questions for me, and and I think we'll get to where we should like where we're gonna get to right now. Right. So if I were to say, if I were to say, like, look, I'm a Marxist, right? Mm -hmm. The best thing for the people in the Ukraine and the people in Russia to do is for the working class of both countries together is to come together and understand that they're being divided by the oligarchs on top who want war. You would tell me what? Um, well, I, I believe in sovereignty in the nation state. So I, I, I don't believe in the sort of workers of the world unite because I think that without without civil without the nation state, you don't have civil rights. And so I, I would. But I, I this is obviously a rich man's war. I, I do think it's much more like I, I'm I'm much more interested in the role that we have played or failed to play in um, escalation. Instead no, we of gave guns, we gave them guns and say fight. We love watching them fight. But can so, I tell like, you something I, I, funny, Army? Like I've been, I've been watching this and seeing this like conformity across, like, like across the spectrum in America. The only people who are saying. I'm not sure why everyone wants me to care about that so much are black people. And like, you're not, you're not allowed to say that like in the mainstream, you're not allowed to be like, why is this our issue? Like, why did this become the wine mom issue? You know, everybody's suddenly like Russian imperialism, Russian imperialism. And like, you, no one's allowed to like have say anything bad about Ukraine. No one's allowed to point out that they're like, you know, that their biggest battalion is like a neo-Nazi battalion. Suddenly nobody cares about neo-Nazis. The only people who are like saying to me, like texting me being like, why does everyone expect me to care about this? Why did they 
keep saying like, who are you going to believe me or your lying eyes? This thing doesn't look like what they're describing. You know, it's only, and it's so interesting to me that it's like the conscience of the nation is like, you know, like, I, why are we like, why is this our fight? We're not at war with Russia. It's very, I find it very interesting. We're, we're arming the worst kind of people who, whether like, there's, it's impossible for me to believe that a U.S. made bullet isn't going to be fired from a Ukrainian Nazi into another Ukrainian. Like when the <laughs> internal purges happen, <laughs> like it's going to be our guns. Totally. Like that's just going totally. to be like being fired by a Nazi into like a Ukrainian working class person who might be like a totally, like, totally. But my theory is this: I think that the I think that the Democrats and the left don't really have a foreign policy. Mm -hmm. What they have are like they have domestic enemies who like other countries remind them of. So now because of Trump, Russia has become like tainted with the Trump like orange as though he like rubbed his like fake tan onto Russia. And so now they all have to hate Russia with this like vitriol. And it's like, I, why? I mean, Russia was wrong to invade Ukraine. I think that was a really bad thing to do. I think Putin is really evil. I think he's a murderer and a thug. And I think he's in prison and tried to kill his opposition. Like that can all be true. And it'd also be true that I'm not at war with Russia and I don't understand why I'm being asked to pay for this. Pay and arm. Like and we arm. had an anti-war movement, except when Zelensky exactly. goes on Zoom and asks for I more know. guns. It's and so then we're like, why are we, like these guns end in pogroms. And like, or, like why oh are we? God. Or when he goes to Congress and invokes Dr. King, I was like, you did not just invoke and Dr. He did. King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he did. And like the white Democrats like didn't like they didn't love it. Oh my god. They loved it because like he sees what they do. Like, I know. He he knows. He's a, he's good at this part of the job. Yeah. Um the Zoom war he's very good at. He's, he went from one small Zoom to one small <laughs> and like he's very good at that. And he's playing us and we like being played. Yeah. Um, we, we do like being played. That's really smart. Like yeah. So this idea that a working class coalition can come across nations, across, um, I mean, you know, across national ties and across religious ties and across, um, you know, uh, property ties. I just, I don't see, I don't see it. I don't see it happening in Ukraine. I think if someone were to say the same thing about, you know, the working class Palestinians and the working class Israeli Jews just need to come together and throw across and throw out, I think that would fall apart too. Because people find meaning in their lives in other forms and expressions of freedom other than their mm -hmm. job. And white Americans, at least in the South, and since I've been all over, I know it's more than the South, find meaning in more than just their jobs. They find meaning in the same thing you found meaning in and being first class. They find meaning in being above the schmucks and the schmucks in the South are the blacks. So you tell white people that like, you're gonna have to share power with black people. You'll all be equal, but you'll all have more money like relative than you have now. And they'll be like, no, I like it back when I can kind of rule over people and people have to defer to me and call me Mr. and stuff like that. And I, and I don't have to share power with black people, especially communities of black people. I think they're gonna like white people here use money for racism. So it's not as if like, well, you know, the racism's costing you money. I'm like, no, you give them money, they'll buy private schools for racism. Like it's, it's, it's like, it's the money serves this other thing. And just 
just promising them more money, but say that's going to have to take away their structures of racism is not going to be very attractive because they, what they want is the racism in the same way that like the Democrats aren't scared of paying taxes if it's going to not jeopardize their first class because what they want is the first class. Like they don't, it's not the money, it's the first classness of it. And they'll pay whatever it takes to get it. So just promising more money for that first classness mm -hmm. isn't going to do it. Um, and that's the same with white people in the South. So promising the working class whites more money, but they have to share power with, you know, like it's like promising the first class people cheaper tickets, but we have to share power. But the whole plane is first class. They'd be like, <laughs> forget it. Yeah, we'll pay more. <laughs> we'll pay. <laughs> right. That's their They'll biggest pay. nightmare. <laughs> yeah, no, but like that's so when people talk to me about a working class coalition in the South right. and about how that's like going to be improve the life of everybody. And so if everybody gets first class, then the first class people like will be happy. That's that's not how first class works. <laughs> like they won't they will they will want to pay more money to not have to look to have a curtain. Right. I hear what you're saying. I, I do think, um, you know, the movement of uh, working class black and Latino voters toward the GOP suggests that for many of them, at least, they are not experiencing it in the way that you might be in the way that you're describing it. Um, and, and well, I think they moved to the GOP for a few reasons. They see the Democrats as feckless. And so, like, look, if I have a party of white power that's very good and orderly, and serious about their police state and like well, it's like an orderly white supremacy. I have an order, the GOP promises an orderly white supremacy <laughs> that will leave you with your cultural institutions mostly intact as long as they're willing to treat black people like trash. And you know, this is the same, and I think black I think people will take that. Um, everyone except like <laughs> maybe black people will take that. But a lot of people, black people will take that because, like, well, you know, I'm used to being treated like trash. So like at least it's orderly, orderly, predictable white supremacy on one side versus a feckless mess that is the Democratic Party. But so does it not matter the reasons they give for why they're voting for the GOP? Um, Are they not to be believed? Sometimes they're to believe. Well, you know, it depends on what the reason is. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so people like to lie to themselves and then lie to other people. And a lot of people are confused about who they are in America. That's one of the reasons why we need critical race theory. A lot of people are confused about who they are. So what I yeah, think- Yeah, I don't, I think I don't believe academics should be telling people who work, you know, who labor with their hands, like what they are. <laughs> yeah, no, like I, I yeah. So I, I, I think, um, well, there's a, there's a uh, so being nice to white people is a habit. It's not something you can turn on and off. So like you need to actually go deep into it. And once you're deep into it, you, it's like, it's a habit. It's a spiritual discipline being nice to white people. And that's what you need to do to, in order to survive. And so once you've actually committed to that spiritual discipline, it's hard to get out of it. So you're asking people who've committed to that spiritual discipline to think out of it. And that's, that, that might be a little bit hard for a lot of people to do. But what I do think, I do think, is that um, cultural conservatism is attractive when the alternative is an incoherent mess. You don't think there's like any legitimate reason why someone would be a conservative? 
Yeah, I think cultural conservatism is like has perks. I don't see there are a lot of people who think like I don't understand why these white women voted for Trump. And I'm like, I understand exactly why they voted for Trump. He's promising them a certain lifestyle that they've kind of made their peace with, and he's promising to secure it. And the lifestyle is not so bad insofar as they don't have to work. So like, 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 so people say like, well, these women are confused and they're voting against their interests. And I'm saying like, no, they're not confused. They're actually very smart. And you just don't understand their interests because their interests are like with some, like some other guy securing the state for them and securing their suburban house. And Trump is promising that. And so they're voting for him like for, for the perks of white womanhood, like, and like for a deal yeah, they've I already kind of dealt with. So like, I don't, I don't, I so don't they're agree not with any of that. <laughs> What's up? I don't agree with any of that. Yeah, yeah. So you think white women are confused about their interests when they vote for Trump? No, I think people give really good reasons for voting for him, including black people who I've talked to gave really yeah. good reasons for voting for him. Like I, I, mean, no reasons are. I didn't vote for him, but I think there were a lot of really good reasons. Yeah, like, he promises like, stability. Well, like NAFTA for one, okay, like the number, there were two main predictors for whether, you know, people would vote for Trump. The first was how many deaths of despair there were in their county, which is a very good reason to vote for Trump. And the second was people would say NAFTA, 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 stole my job. You know, very good reason to vote for Trump. Inflation is going to be a reason that I think a lot of black people in 2022 are going to vote for Republicans because the Democrats have nothing to say about it. And I mean, that you know, abortion, like if you're if you're pro-life, you know, you vote for the Republican. If you're an evangelical, it doesn't matter. Like you, you, you okay, like so there's if, nothing if more important than murder if you believe in that. So it's like, I mean, that's not about white supremacy or the comforts of the police state. That's just like yeah, you know, evangelical Christianity in the United States that emerged out of a colonialism is about white supremacy and the comfort of like a secure, like authoritarian state i i how would you I, falsify that claim like don't you want to know if that's true or not or you just want to say it like how would you, how you test that? it i mean i study theology like it's in like I you go to these like, churches and i've been there and they're talking about racial justice and police reform and like they're you know they they happen to think it's murder to abort a baby i don't think that i'm a religious jew and that's not our religion but like if you think that that's not like white supremacy to believe that. You know, th I think 35% of black Americans think that it's murder to have a, an abortion. But yet they don't vote for Republicans. Well, increasingly they are. Yeah, but not for that reason. Yeah, but that's not, that doesn't, that's not a, like, that's, that has to do with like, I mean, like that's, that has to do with the historical ties between the black, you know, civil rights movement, opposition from the Republicans. Like there's historical reasons for that, but I think increasingly as the Republicans like stop being so racist, like that, that's all going to change. And they're going to get to vote on their on their religious values, which is like a totally reasonable reason to pick somebody. <laughs> like, no, because the religious values are going to entail certain gender constructs that are actually going to be a, a, a bigger problem. Right. So do you want to say hi to Batya? <laughs> my kid comes home. She's she's adorable. So she comes oh to hi to Oh, my God. Oh my god. Hi. Hi. Oh my god, look at this gorgeous girl. What's your name? Graham. Graham. Hi. How old are you? 7. Oh my gosh. Wow, what a great age. Do you like being 7? Yes. Oh, that's so great. It's so nice to meet you. 
Right, uh, I'll be with you in about 15 minutes, okay? Okay. Right. Yeah. You got I got a book. <laughs> you want to open it? Okay, you can open it in the next room. Right, so I think that no, I think it's actually not just a matter of being able to vote with in accordance with your religion. If your religion actually is going to entail certain gender um, specifications that are inconsistent with living in a shared democracy, right? Like, so we need like to actually what? talk. Okay, so let's just say, hmm. let's just say I am you. I've promoted you. Actually, no, you. I don't have to promote you. When I run this scenario with students, I have to promote them. But you're already a big deal. So <laughs> you're a hiring manager. You're a hiring manager at a at a at a firm, and you have to choose between three candidates. Mm -hmm. Three candidates. You're in the you're in the religious South or in an Orthodox community. You can you can pick. Um, and you have three candidates, two women and a guy, both come from, all three come from, uh, you know, fancy universities. They could all do the job. You're going to have to invest about $150,000 in the training, any of them to do the job appropriately over okay. the course of, you know, a year and a half. And you kind of want a 10 year commitment tacitly. Mm -hmm. Um, and you get a bonus if you hire someone who actually makes it through the training and like does a good job, right? Reasonable request. You're a hiring manager. This is the job you could do. That kind of hiring manager. Yeah. 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 All right. So these three candidates come to you. You're in the you're in the you're in the religious south. One of them is conservative Christian. Um, you know, you don't know. You don't. I see the book. I'll be with you in a second. Um, one of the you don't you you can't ask questions about religion, but you're in the south and you know that there's kind of a the guy there's a guy named Piper who writes a lot of books about manhood and gender in the church. And like there's this idea that men should be heads of the family and and all of that. And the last person you had for this job during the pandemic, they went home and their husband said, like, look, I prayed on it. I talked to my uh, pastor and we decided that you need to quit your job and stay home and watch the kids. The last person you had for the job and the firm took a hit for that and so you'll get penalized a little bit or you won't get your bonus if you hire someone else like that so you have three people to choose from mm -hmm. one of them might be in a marriage marriage like that but because you can't ask questions you just see the wedding ring and like you 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 you, you, you know you're a good feminist and it's rude to ask questions and illegal the other's a dude then other one's a dude who's not in a marriage like that but looks like the first one <laughs> <laughs> and you can't ask questions. And the thing about like everyone's wearing an Ann Taylor suit. Everyone's wearing an Ann Taylor suit. So they, they, these women look the same. And I'm like, <laughs> but like one's in like a cool hip marriage, and like it wouldn't would would never be under that kind of um uh, uh, like situation. The other one is in the marriage where they she absolutely would be because it's a South and that's just a conservative marriage. But you're the hiring manager. Mm -hmm. And you have to look at shareholder profit. You have a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders and you have your own bills to pay and you want the, you want the, the bonus. So who are you going to hire in that situation? Well, can I ask them? Like, are you willing to make a 10 year commitment? Uh, well, legally you can, but I mean, it's not a 10 year contract because you want the ability to uh, 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 fire them if, if it doesn't work out. Right. So, I mean, you can ask it, but um, you know, someone can say they can make a 10 year commitment, but if they go home and the husband says like, well, you know, I prayed on it and I talked to the pastor about it. And we just decided that for the good of the family, you should stay home and watch the children. Um, that's like what they tell you in the, in the interview isn't. By the way, again, 
that was something Elizabeth Warren was really into before she became woke. She thought that it was really important that America offer people the opportunity to make it, have a nice middle-class family life on one income, which is something, um, I, I don't know which way I would go, but I, I do just want to- Come on, your job is on the line, Bati. I'm sorry, I can't keep them straight. Like you made them all seem like, so, I could. I, I was like I was like trying to track it, but I was like, wait, three people. The one with the- this one's a guy. This one, with the one with my wedding finger, is the one on the conservative marriage. This is right. the one in the um, who's not, who's in a different kind of marriage. But you, they look identical. <laughs> they look the same. Right. I don't know. I mean, I would have to look at the resumes. I would yeah. have to... resumes the same. Like you can't tell from the resume. Can't tell from the resume. I don't yeah, know. I mean, they're, they're all look, no, nobody says I'm in a conservative marriage and I have to do what my husband tells me to do. And they're all wearing Ann Taylor suits, so they all look the same. And you're in the the rural south. So the idea is that you have a rational reason to pick the dude uh -huh. because of this person's oh, religion. because so you now so this person gets screwed uh, uh -huh. because this person is in a religion whose gender commitments make it unattractive to hire this person. Oh, and this person's just a dude who just kind of went, he's like, well, I'm, I'm qualified, so I get it. But so this person is the person whose job, whose life depends on this person's marriage and the culture of this person's marriage. Because as long as the culture of this person's marriage is in the water and popular, uh -huh. this person gets screwed for looking like they could be this person. Got so it. just to say that, like, you know, people should be able to vote their religion isn't actually um, sensitive to how all of, like, the way you think about religion, the way you think about gender, the way you think about property rights, the way you think about education, the way you think about, you know, the role of jobs, all, like, form mutually reinforcing I mean, institutions you may not want people to vote on their religion but it is consistent with the most important value in america which is like democracy <laughs> so right, right, right. but right, we have to change the religion uh-huh yeah so we need the religious intervention so this is so like you think the white Dude, this is why the democrats lose <laughs> yeah this is why the democrats lose but this is why the Black people stay poor whether Democrats win or lose because they win without going after the cultural artifacts that like constitute uh -huh. a quality of whiteness <laughs> that is against like black self-determination, right? So there's this idea in your mind that black people can get reparations, can be made whole, can be made autonomous. But the way white people think about their family and the way the white people think about their church and the way white people think about their job can stay the same. I first of all, I 100% think that that is true. I, I don't I, I think that's I, I, I don't think that black people need reparations to be autonomous. I think they are autonomous because I think that everybody is. So I don't I don't think they need it. I would like them to see it mostly because, you know, I think that we have a debt that we have not paid and I don't like having debts that I haven't paid. So it's like, but I don't think they need it to be autonomous. You don't think I, they need it to be autonomous. I believe hey, they are. You, you need a lot of people like me. Yeah, actually. You do, you, you, yeah, you do. <laughs> Why don't you see more people like me on television? I mean, me. like on which channels? There, you, there's a lot of black people on Fox. There's a lot of pe black people on CNN. Yeah, but they don't sound like I do. Oh yeah, that's a hundred percent true. They don't let they don't let you know anybody who is not in the woke party line on TV. That is a hundred percent true. Right, because we're Fox. not autonomous. But like I am, I am actually that's not, the not definition out of, the of autonomy. Of black. What's up? That's not the definition of autonomy. I mean, I, I, autonomy is 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 uh, it's it's like a it's like a. <laughs> 
like a God-given uh, right. It's all right, so, uh, so like, let me, uh, that's nice. That's, that's cute, Batya, but I'm going to teach you something. Let me mansplain you a little bit, something about autonomy, so you don't make an ass of yourself in future po uh, podcasts. You're welcome. This is art for free. Um, autonomy is the ability to negate the will of others who want to determine your characteristics. If you can't negate someone else who has an aspiration that includes you, you actually work for them. You're heteroanonymous. That means that your qualities are determined by someone else. If someone else has a plan that includes you and you can't negate it, you're not autonomous, which is why Ukraine right now is not autonomous. Putin has a plan that includes them and they can't negate it, which means they're not autonomous. So what autonomy means is the ability to negate an other party that has a plan that includes you. If you cannot negate them, then you are not autonomous. You're heteronomous. You're determined by an external agency. Black is, pre is President Obama autonomous? No. Um, he's just okay with his heteronomy. He knows white people run this United States. So like he can't negate his white bosses. Like he are, can't are, are, are white working class men who are committing suicide and mass, are they autonomous? No, and they don't know how to deal with a, very, a variety of degradation. <laughs> like black people, we've we we have a different we we know how to deal with a variety of degradation. So, is anybody autonomous? Who's autonomous if it's like well, just rich class. white people? If they can, if you can negate, if you can negate other people's designs on your life, then you're autonomous, or at least participate in the structure on a par with your colleagues in a way that forms the conditions for everyone's life. Then you're autonomous. Like every all of these. Are you autonomous? Uh, I am in a way. I am. I am because I'm willing to be fired and die. So you, in, order to, to, in order to get me to play along with your design, you're going to have to kill me, which is also why I get so many death threats. Um, but why do you think you're more free than like the average person? Because I'm, I'm not scared to die. I'm not scared to die. And in, in, in the same way. But why Plus, do I got you life insurance. So, but let's talk about Jackson, Mississippi. You would think like people thought that like now that Jackson, Mississippi has a black mayor in a predominantly black town, um, they would be uh, they're autonomous and they could be black controlled. But what happens is they're not autonomous because the state is pretty much the Klan, right? So at any point in time, the, Jackson needs to go up and get money and resources from the state. So the state dictates the terms of what life is in Jackson, even though in a way Jackson would seem to be autonomous because it's a black city with a black leftist mayor. But really that black leftist mayor has to go crawling to uh, like the Klan state for anything. So they're not under, they're, they're, they're not actually, they can't negate the rule of an, like a white supremacist state. So they're actually just a function of the white supremacist state. So like they aren't autonomous. Black people are not autonomous. It's not a gift from God. It's a autonomy is a product of social relations. And and uh, like insofar as black people are kind of an internal class within these little clan states. And yes, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, both Carolinas, even Virginia, they're all clan states. Black people are just an internal colony kind of like Belarus, like uh, like an internal colony within a uh, colonial domination that at the state government level. And so like, no, we no black people are not autonomous. You do not see more people talking like I talk because everyone else has to, is scared of not, what happens if they don't conform to white sensibilities. 
Um, well, you hear a lot of the stuff that you just said a lot on cable news, like on the on the liberal channels. I, of what I said, that black people aren't autonomous? The idea that like, um, you know, Mississippi is a Klan state, the idea <laughs> that, you know, like all this stuff, the idea that somehow like race is what determines your autonomy, yeah. the idea that, um, you know, like all this stuff, all these ideas you hear all the time, like this is no, very George much the bread and butter. saying that black people aren't poor. And like, and then we always hear like, well, there's a black middle class too. And, and those and, people are the outliers. Most people are talking about the, you know, the genocide and, you know, the, the sort of maximalist language. That's, that's yeah, very common. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we live in an internal colony and in, black people live in an internal <laughs> colony in the South. Like there is, there, like, there is no black self-determination in the South. We've like, it's just, there, someone said there is no black middle class. There is. It just works for white people. Um, like, I have to uh, say, your 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 viewers are brutal. I can't remember the last time the the comments were. There. <laughs> <laughs> These, I don't know. Like the so I had a tete to tete Negro to Negro. I have had two meetings with Stacey Abrams. Um, well, that is certainly interesting. Why don't you tell us about those meetings? You got to go because like, I don't know. This no, is, well, this what was this I mean, actually, your daughter's waiting for you, but it's, so I feel bad. But I definitely want to hear about those meetings. My daughter, as you can imagine, I'm, I homeschooled them when all of this went down. And as you can imagine, my daughters are awesome. So um, <laughs> now they go to regular school. But before, you know, I just took care of it all. So I had my meeting, you know, Negro to Negro, Tate to Tate, like we're talking right now, woman to woman. Um, with Stacey Abrams, and um, and she just like we 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 had it out because like I'm not the hugest Stacey Abrams fan. She's very smart, by the way, smarter than I am, and I it's like you know just very smart. Also, like in a way, a little bit more cynical than I am. She she doesn't think that like she thinks these white people are broken for good, and like wow. and like and wow. like they're functionally wow. in a clan state, and like they're Whoa. not changing. I mean, she's uh, good at hiding that. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's got to hide it because, like, yeah, yeah, she's she's hiding it. But like, yeah. come on, how how non cynical do you think she has to be when she took all that money from Bloomberg and like so like yeah. like she thinks so yeah so she's actually she's like and she worked in the state legislature right like these people are clan these people like are white nationalists. Who have a very who promise who promise a very functional white nationalism, a very functional orderly white nationalism, and that functional orderly white nationalism is very attractive to a lot of people, including non-white immigrants. Well, I think we would probably. I mean, I if I don't know I don't know anything about who's in the state legislature there, but um, you know, like if if they are actually white nationalists and Klansmen, they are. They were voted in by people who are not like they they do not like the the number of Americans who that can be said of who are still white supremacists is vanishingly small. And so they are not representative of anything but themselves. I don't know who they are, so I'm not going to comment oh. on that, but they are not representative of, of anything but themselves. So we are going to disagree about how comfortable white people in the South can even conceive of seriously sharing power with the enormous black population who they used to own. Yeah, so, we're going to disagree about that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to disagree because like I don't like they're not they don't have to say they're white national because they don't even have to, they don't even conceive of what it would actually mean. 
to share power with them, which is one reason why they're so comfortable with nonprofits doing a lot of the work and they don't think government needs to do the work. You can just do it all with nonprofits because they don't actually think that black people are going to actually contest power in a real way at the community level. So like, like I, if you think, you think the white working class is comfortable sharing power with masses of black people who actually don't treat them especially nice because they're white. And I think that the masses of working class white people are not comfortable and wouldn't even know what to do with and would freak out if they actually had to share power with masses of working class black people who aren't especially nice to them because they're white. And so in order yeah, to we're make agree about that. What's up? <laughs> we're gonna disagree about that. We're gonna disagree about it's okay. We can disagree. It's great. What do you mean? It's great. I think it's great. So and so the way we get to the working class coalition, which I think we both want, is we have to work on the way the whites think about church. We have to work on the way the whites think about um, uh, property. We have to work on the way the whites think about work. Now, I think I can make this in a clear way. Um, what would it be like to, or, so like you've worked in and out of the Orthodox Jewish community. So you're gonna teach me something. And I think maybe I, that, that's true, right? I haven't worked there, but I have belonged to that community for you know Orthodox I, Jews. I know. Like, let's not pretend you know Orthodox Jews. I was, you know I was raised by Orthodox Jews, and I am a religious Jew. So, so like, yeah. So let's not pretend, like I went to Brandeis, but like you know Orthodox. Yeah. So like, so you're gonna teach? Is it my possible? husband went to Brandeis? Oh well, maybe we know each other. I was a master's. So um, uh, yeah. So I went to Brandeis, and uh. Yeah, so, so is it, I suspect, mm -hmm. I suspect that if you're going to actually have a real politics of sharing power across race and gender and religious background, there are some aspects of Orthodox Judaism that are going to have to be massaged. I, I don't see the connection between like the, the like religion to me is part of your private life. It's not really part of the public sphere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we talked about how this person's religious beliefs affects this person's ability to get a job. Well, you, 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 you gave a hypothetical that, you know, <laughs> suggests that that may be the case. I don't know that I think it's true. You don't think, you don't think this, so what, so I think the conservative argument against gay marriage isn't really, I mean, I don't think it's sufficient, but it has a kernel of truth that like other people's marriage and how they view their marriage actually affects the culture that's of marriage such a great general, example. which is why like no fault divorce is bad for but like that's, the reason that's such a perfect example is because even religious christians now support same-sex marriage like there was a sea change over the last 15 years to where even religious christians now support it so it's like th this stuff is all in flux like it has nothing to do with religion it just has to do with 
Well, the left won well, all well, the important they, culture no. wars. Well, no, they worried. They, I think they had a legitimate worry. It just turns out their worry was like inaccurate, like empirically. But their worry was like, well, if we let the gays marriage, no, but let me give you let me just give you one example of something yeah, that I think is really interesting. Um, because I'm really curious what you think about this, and then probably you should go to your daughter and I should go get my car fixed. But um, um the here's so so we we tend to think of marriage as part of this like cultural religious divide, right? This like a culture war issue, right? Like the conservative right is all about like the sanctity of marriage, and you know, the left uh, is all about a peculiar, I think I think the left has a crappy family politics and they could have a much fa better family politics, especially if they leaned into the CTC more. But like, but uh, but yeah, we think we think, yeah, keep I mean, going. That we tend to think about it. Um, the, the truth is, is that um, so this this looks like this big culture war battle, right? You have like the LGBTQ left, like saying no, like, you know, marriage is like an outdated institution. It's misogynistic. It leads to this third person, you know, always getting screwed over for this one and that one and all this, all the arguments that you made. Right. But but the truth is, if you drill down on the data, the median income of a black male head of household who is not married, okay, is $36,000 a year. The median income of a black male head of household who is married is $93,000 a year, which is $40,000 a year more than the median income of all Americans, regardless of race. So, right. so it, it's actually, we economists don't know why that is, by the way. They don't know if it's because married men work harder. They don't know if it's because, you know, the people who get ahead are also the same, have some personality trait. That yeah, I mean, there's a lot of confounding variables. There's a lot of confounding variables. There's many confounding variables here, right? A hundred percent. It's probably not causation. It's probably correlation. But at the same time, working class people who do not have access to this data can look around in their communities and see which couples and which families are making it and are secure and which ones aren't. And there is a complete correlation between being married and being economically stable. And so it's yeah. not actually a culture war issue. It's an economic issue, which is something that like rich liberals know because they're all freaking married. Well, well, hold on. Ask me why my parents got divorced. Why'd they get divorced? Because my dad didn't make any money. Right. So like you have conform you have confounding variables. Yeah. yeah. So like yeah. So yeah, rich people. <laughs> like that's that's, that, that's that's why my family like it was in the you know 80s when that was just a thing. And like, yeah, so uh, yeah, you have a lot of confounding variables. Um Yeah. And I'm a fan, I'm a huge fan of marriage for for a few different reasons, because I think it's a peculiar quality of freedom too that you can only get in, 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 in that kind of unit. But, um, I, I don't think it's a merely a private issue. I think that culture actually affects policy. I don't, I think that's, that it does, actually... but I think sometimes in a good way, I mean, like, yeah. you know, Right, like for example, the number one predictor for whether a child will be sexually abused or just physically abused is whether their mother is cohabiting with someone they're not married to who's not their father. Like that's yeah. just the number, the incidence of of um, of abuse of children. It's like skyrocketing. For that reason alone, we should be pushing marriage all the time just to yeah, defend I, I children, just to protect children. And instead, you have the left like on this anti-marriage kick and.
it's it's irresponsible and it's naive because I think well okay so I'll just give you the we're both we're both hitch so I'll just give you the quick argument for marriage and I wrote a little piece about this but marriage offers a peculiar kind of freedom so that you can have someone who's with you for better for worse and richer for poorer and that actually matters insofar as like you have a shared fate with someone and that's not the same you have with freedom that's not this that's not the same kind of freedom you have on the marketplace that's not the same kind of freedom you have with your friends that's not the same kind of freedom you have with um you know, a political freedom. It's actually a unity that's immediate. You have, you're together. And so that's why it's good that you can have a joint bank account or whatever, right? So that is a peculiar kind of freedom. And insofar as it is a peculiar kind of freedom and the constitution is supposed to support the blessings of all freedom, the constitution needs to support the blessings of that peculiar kind of freedom, right? That you can only have in a married couple. That So like, I think as an institution of freedom, marriage should be supported uh, because that is a special kind of freedom. Right? Amen. And, oh, yeah, and it, I, and it I feels think a lot like slavery. What's up? <laughs> Although it feels a lot like slavery. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's you can't. You, we I'm we have to pick I'm the kind kidding. of marriageable people because they can't just choose their way out. They just can't wake up one day and decide you're not being married. You can't, I'm going to quit you. <laughs> you can't say that to your husband or your wife, and that's appropriate. You're not supposed. You, it's okay that you can't say that. Right. Um, but that that means we need to pick the kind of people who could actually share power in a way, and also the kind of people who won't poison you. Because we don't talk about the quality, the the, the, the number of spouses who are poisoned um, uh, <laughs> like over this pandemic, and and then once they get divorced, we don't do autopsies. So like, there's a lot of death that happens among married couples. That like, you know. A lot of Clorox in your coffee just because it's a lot <laughs> cleaner than, than divorce. And I think I want those numbers to go down too. So we need to talk about supporting marriage and make it easier than murder or divorce, right? <laughs> make, make marriage e easier than, than. See, than that is a winning platform. Make marriage easier than poison. <laughs> or divorce. Because poison's easier Joe than Biden, divorce. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Poisoning's easier than divorce. You don't have to split property or the kids or the church or the friends. And everyone's sympathetic to you. Divorce is messy and expensive. So, um, so yeah, I, I do think that uh, marriage is something that the Democrats need to support, but not a conservative marriage. The content of the marriage has to be That's one better. with symmetrical gender relationships where it's a co-determination of household issues. But yep. that's not the marriage that's being taught in white churches. <laughs> and so they're going to have to change. Well, we'll leave it at that because we're not going to we're not going to resolve that this time. Maybe next time. Um, thank you so much for having me. This was like really, really, really fun. All right, Batya, tell me one thing that I might have changed your mind about. Maybe if um, that happened. I mean, look, you're a black man living in the South. So everything that you say about that experience, I always bring a lot of humility to that conversation. You know, like whatever the data shows, like there's a certain lived experience, if you will, that um, means a lot to me um, hearing about that. So one last question. Why did Bernie lose the South in 2016 and 2020? Oh, great question. I mean, I think it, in 2020, it's because he didn't spend any, any more time there than he had in 2016. I think it's also because he assumed a lot of white woke language and a lot of sort of, you know, intersectional um, avatars instead of like just actually spending time in the black church. I think he feels that the black community is too moderate to vote for a democratic socialist. And he was not able to, or did not commit to spending the time 
with the community to convey to them that actually his platform was something that they would support if they knew more about it. And also, I think he they made a decision in 2020 to go all in on the Latino vote because they thought that they could, you know, make a lot of ground there, which they did. But that involved um, doing a 180 on immigration, which I think was very alienating to the black community. I mean, those are good. That's that. Those are responsible. Um, those are responsible answers. I think mm-hmm. black people didn't vote for Bernie because they looked at Bernie the same way that white progressives look at Marianne Williamson. Nice, but not real. I know that I'm dealing with the Klan and that none of that stuff's going to happen. So while I agree with Bernie and he seems like a nice guy, he doesn't know these assholes mm-hmm. that I have to live with. They're not going to institute any of his policies the way he thinks they are. And it's not going to work out the way he thinks it is. And so he's a, not, he's a nice guy, but like I'm going to go with Jim Crow Joe, who at least I know what I'm going to get. And he kn- I know he's not going to do anything for us. He knows he's not going to do anything for us. And like it's just less confusion all the way around. Um, Bernie's cute and all, but... And in a pinch, and this is one thing we don't talk about with the white left, in a pinch, he's going to sell us out to the Latinos anyway. <laughs> yeah. Or the whites. <laughs> so, that's, so that's why I think Bernie. And until you actually figure that out in a meaningful way, it'll just keep happening again yeah, and yeah, again and yeah, again yeah. and again and again. So you think, I guess I will uh, end this with one more, uh, um, you thinks, you think the way to stop those problems is to spend more time <laughs> um, in the I South. Think South Carolina was his, like what Wisconsin was to Hillary Clinton. I mean, he just didn't show up. Like he just, he just didn't show. I think he thought it was a lost cause, and he didn't spend the time, and he didn't show up. Yeah, I don't think I, that. What I want to see Republicans do is show up now. Like they're going to be losing for a few races and a few generations, but I want to see them show up, and that's what I tell them when they invite me to talk to them: is show up, make an offer, make the Democrats fight for this community's votes. You know, it's the best thing you could do. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, good luck talking to Republicans and the seriously showing power with Black people. But, uh, okay, all right. Hey, thanks for your time. See you next Thank time. Thank you so much. Bye. Hi, that was uh, Bhatia. This is her book. How Woke Media Undermined Democracy, Bhatia Unger Sargon. Uh, you know, this is where she's at. Right? So someone says, I don't have the stats. I actually do have the stats. Uh, I'll run through. I, I couldn't, like, you know, black people are more progressive than, than she thinks. And... Um, uh, but they're also more cynical about the whites than she thinks. But she's, uh, you know, she's she's who she is. And she has a bigger audience than I have. She's the deputy uh, director of, of Newsweek. And, um, but they just don't actually think that white people are going to play along. And so they go with where they think the white people are. And that's where it is. So you have to change the white people because you can't autonomously change Black people, if they think the white people are going to stay the same, because that just ends with like lynching, right? So you fight the white people, you change them, and then it allows the black people the space to change, because you can't change black people autonomously, because they're not an autonomous community in the South. We only are who we are because 
this is who white people let us be. And that is the problem. You need to change the whites in order the, for blacks to be self-determining. And there is no black freedom in the South that keeps the white church, the white family, and the white educational system the same. And that's why, you know, the real, the real war is going to be the culture war. But maybe you can have some sort of multiracial working class coalition and the whites don't have to change, but the blacks will somehow be in power. And maybe white identity and the white way of life isn't intrinsically tied to a certain level of black degradation. But I don't think so. Take care.